On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to the second season of On Screen and Beyond as we start our second year of doing interviews and reviews and letting you know what's coming up on remakes, sequels, new movies, coming out on DVDs, and all those other things that we do. And we're going to have a new feature coming up on the website and on the podcast every once in a while. We'll be reviewing DVDs that are being released, and generally they'll be reviewed before they are released to the general public. Our first one goes along with our interview this uh, episode. We are going to be reviewing My Three Sons, the first season, Volume 1, which comes out on September 30th. And uh, as I said, we have uh, had a chance to review the DVD. We look it over, and they've sent us a copy of it. And uh, we're going to give you our impression of it. And also, we will be having an interview with Stanley Livingston, who played Chip Douglas on all the years that that show was on. It's one of the longest-running TV shows ever in the history of TV. And uh, we have a little chat with Stanley. And that's coming up a little bit later on. So we'll be getting into that. We'll get into the uh, review of the DVD, which I have right in front of me right here. You might have heard the snap as I closed the case. We'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, Let's see. Coming up in future episodes, we have got some interviews for you. And they are going to be a lot of very interesting people. And... uh, it's uh, It starts off on this episode with Stanley Livingston. It's uh, really interesting talking to him. We talked for quite a while. Stanley is uh, very busy right now. He's got all kinds of things that are going on. He's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about his time on My Three Sons, and that's coming up later right here on On Screen and Beyond. But it's time now to get into remakes right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. As far as remakes, well, it's uh, they're not stopping. It's just the remake madness continues. Uh, they are thinking of remaking Slaughterhouse-Five, the 1972 classic written by Kurt Vonnegut Jr., and it's about alien abduction. And also in the works is a remake, or reboot they're calling them, or retooling. That's the buzzwords now, but basically they're redoing it. That's about how it comes down to. Of uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And both films, Slaughterhouse-Five and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, are rumored to be directed by Del Toro. All right. And in 2011, look for a remake of Captain Blood to hit theaters. And it's a retooling of the 1935 movie about pirates. And 2011 could also bring us a remake of 1987's Monster Squad. And that's about a group of young teens and uh, their fanatics about uh, classic movie monsters and the monsters help them out uh, solving things and everything. Uh, So that's another remake that's going to be going on. And that's about it for remakes right now. Coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond, upcoming movies. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
Upcoming movies. Watchmen comes to theaters on March 6th. It's about a ragtag group of retired superheroes setting out to save the world. And a film based on the final days of Charles Dickens called Drood is set for a 2012 release. And that could change, of course, uh, because things can always change as far as the movies. And The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, will star in Tomorrowland. Well, Disney has given us uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Haunted Mansion. Now they've gone to another one of the rides, or actually a one of the areas where they have rides. Tomorrowland, it's going to be a movie. And it's set in space, and it's inspired by, of course, the ride at Disney Parks. And no date for the release has been set yet. Look for Vince Vaughn, John Favreau, and Jason Bateman. And they will star in Couples Retreat. It's a comedy about four couples who go to a tropical island resort and the funny things that happen along the way. All right, that's about it for upcoming movies and rumored movies. And next, right here on On Screen and Beyond, we're going down to Sequel City. Sequel City. Well, it looks like Watchmen, which I talked about earlier in upcoming movies coming out March 6th, isn't even out yet. And, of course, they're looking... You know, it's got an opening, not-so-stellar month of March, but uh, there's talk of a sequel already, Watchmen 2, so stay tuned to uh, hear more about that. 2009, look for The Hoff, David Hasselhoff, to star in Beverly Hills Ninja Two, a sequel to the 1997 film that starred Chris Farley. And uh, let's see, 2010 is a tentative release date of the next James Bond movie after The Quantum of Solace. And it will star, once again, uh, Daniel Craig. And right now, it's just being called James Bond 23. 2009 will bring us... Ice Age 3, The Dawn of Dinosaurs, with Ray Romano, Dennis Leary, and Queen Latifah all coming back. Right now, it calls for a July 1st, 2009 release. That's about it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, it looks like Sister Sister, the first season with Tia and Tamara Maori and Tim Reed comes to DVD on October 28th. The Beverly Hillbillies, season two, strolls into stores on October 7th. It stars Buddy Epson, Donna Douglas, and the rest of the gang with over 15 hours of fun, Beverly Hillbilly style. And on October 14th, look for Nash Bridges, the first season, as it cruises into uh, DVD and stores starring Don Johnson and Cheech Marin in the action drama cop show set in San Francisco. And it looks like Little Bush, resident of the United States season two, arrives on DVD on October 14th. And finally, My Three Sons season one, volume one, is in stores on September 30th. And that stars Fred McMurray, Stanley Livingston. And don't forget to catch our interview on this, ep- uh, on this episode coming up shortly with Stanley Livingston, who played Chip Douglas on the show. And also, it has been announced that uh, Season 1, Volume 2 will be coming out for My Three Sons on January 20th. So look for that one as they complete the seasons of uh, the first year on My Three Sons on January 20th. And coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we will have a review of the new My Three Sons Season 1, Volume 1, right here on On Screen and Beyond.
Well, as I said earlier, this is a new feature in On Screen and Beyond. We will be reviewing a DVD that's coming out, all right? And this one is our first, and it's My Three Sons, the first season, volume one. And uh, it's a nice little DVD. It uh, has... 18 episodes of the first season, and that's, uh, I think it was about uh, 7 hours, let me look here, 7 hours and 43 minutes of uh, running time, and it's got uh, all those episodes, and it was kind of neat to see um, all the the gang again, Uh, we've seen them on reruns and everything, but uh, to see them... Uh, digitally remastered and all that uh, it was kind of neat um, it's a very crisp DVD and uh, William Frawley is in it uh, from I Love Lucy he's a uh, bub and uh, the rest of the gang and uh, it's the cover is uh, sort of um, you know it's a basic thing uh, it's, it, it looks pretty good and uh, one thing I was surprised was that the there is no um, insert what they did was they printed on the back of the front all right, so the sleeve that goes into the DVD is clear, and you can see the back, and it gives you the uh, the what's on disc one, what's on disc two, what's on disc three, that type of thing. And uh, that's a different way of they basically they're cutting down on what they uh, they are having uh, as far as paper and all that in in it. Um, but the problem is is that the third DVD covers the back portion of it, so the only way you can see what's on. Uh, part of disc two and part of uh, and all of disc three is you have to remove the DVD from the case itself. You have to snap it out in order to see what's what's on there, or pull out the paper, uh, which you don't want to do because it'll just ruin it after a while. But anyways, um, so that's a that's the one negative, and uh, the DVDs themselves are um, just basic. Uh, you know, there's no color to it, but I guess that sort of uh, goes along with the way that the DVD is in black and white. So uh, that sort of goes along with that. But there's, the, you know, a lot of times they'll put the, a picture from the show or the one of the people from the show on the DVD itself. And um, but this one's just sort of just blank. You know, it's just sort of gray. <laughs> That's all. But uh, but the meat of the thing is the DVDs are great. They're the, the shows are good and uh, they've done a nice job remastering them and putting them out. And the shows are kind of nice to look back. And uh, as I was saying uh, earlier, the first episode is about Chip and he was so young then and of course I had a chance to interview Stanley Livingston who played Chip Douglas on the show and he's a little bit older now than that but (laughs) aren't we all and um, so it was kind of neat you might enjoy listening to what he has to say about the show that's coming up in just a few minutes right here on this episode of On Screen and Beyond so uh, overall we give this a very good rating and of course it was one of the longest running in the history of television so uh, you don't want to miss this one this is a a very good DVD and uh, check that out if you get a chance all right so coming up next on On Screen and Beyond we're going to see what's coming out on movies on DVD right here on On Screen and Beyond Movies on DVD, The X-Files, I Want to Believe, is in stores on December 2nd. And November 25th, you can meet Dave as it stars Eddie Murphy as an alien on the streets of New York. And The Happening with Mark Wahlberg happens on October 7th in stores. And December 9th, look for Jim Carrey in Horton Hears a Who as one of Dr. Seuss's 
Children Favorites comes to DVD. And it looks like the Pink Panther Ultimate Collection hits stores on November 25th with all the Peter Seller movies, nine cartoons of the Pink Panther, and the 2006 Steve Martin version. So that's a big collection, and it's got all the the Pink Panther movies, so you might want to check that one out. And that's about it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next, My Three Sons, Chip Douglas, Stanley Livingston, as he recalls the TV show, talks about some projects that he has going on right now. It's right here on On Screen and Beyond. All right, my guest today on On Screen Beyond is Stanley Livingston, who's a writer, director, and actor, and for over a decade grew up before the eyes of America on TV as the son Chip Douglas with Frederick Murray and the rest of the gang on My Three Sons, which comes out on DVD on September 30th as season one. Uh, welcome, Stanley. Hey, Brian. How are you? Pretty good. You? I'm doing great. Uh, you brought the heat out here. <laughs> A lot, a lot of things going on in your life right now. Uh, you're quite busy with all the things that you have going on, and we'll get into those. But uh, we kind of like to start off with, uh, how did you first start in the business? I know you started very young. Yeah, I started pretty young, actually, uh, mid-century, 1955. Um, I went to a swim school where there was an agent who, I guess as a child, liked the way I looked, and talked my mom into sending me out on some interviews, and went out and got cast primarily as uh, an extra, but I did an Ozzie and Harriet later that year, and for whatever reason, Ozzie Nelson on The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet uh, gave me a line to say, which got me into the Screen Actors Guild, and my career moved forward from that day on. In fact, the Nelsons had me back on the show as a neighborhood kid from about 1955 to 1960 uh, when I landed the part of Chip on My Three Sons, and then I couldn't come back. <laughs> From there on, you went uh, for quite a few years on that show. Yeah, that show ended up going uh, 12 years, which made it the second longest running sitcom ever on TV. And lo and behold, Ozzie and Harriet was the first longest running sitcom. And I did, uh, I believe that one won 14 years. So, yeah, wow. two of the longest running shows on TV. Who would have known? In fact, the last show I did on Ozzie and Harriet, I did with my brother Barry, who came over to My Three Sons later, first as a friend. And then as the uh, adopted brother, Ernie, when Tim Considine played the oldest brother, he left the show in 1965. Mm-hmm. Now, so Ernie, well, not Ernie, excuse me, <laughs> Barry, <laughs> you get used to seeing people. Uh, I'll probably call you Chip at some point, too. <laughs> That's okay. But so Barry was actually on Ozzie and Harriet also? Yes, yes. We um, actually did one show together. Uh, we weren't identified as brothers, but uh, there's a show where... Ozzy had these t-shirts printed, and they came out wrong. I think the t-shirt said something like, Welcome Home Skinny on it, and he couldn't use them. So he gave them to all these neighborhood kids who were looking to start a baseball team. And he said, Here, you can call yourself the Welcome Home Skinnies. And <laughs> we basically politely declined after we ate all his ice cream and, and left. <laughs> anyway, my brother was on these all of about, looks like about four years old then. But I left, he stayed behind, and he worked for the Nelsons uh, from about 60 to about 63, and he started playing Ernie as a friend by that point on My Three Sons. And then later, when Tim left the show, um, you know, we were in a bind. The show was called My Three Sons. We only had two. So right. since there's no nepotism in show business, uh, Barry got the job. <laughs> now, um, 
going into that a little bit, uh, having your brother work with you on a show. Now, brothers seem to, you know, argue, fight, you know, just naturally. Um, did any of that occur on the set uh, where you guys, you know, had little conflicts of brotherly rivalries and things like that? You know, I don't remember that many on the set, but, you know, at home occasionally that would. We, I mean, brother and I, we pretty much got along, which was a blessing, I guess. Uh, I don't remember that many fights with him. I'm sure we had a few here and there, but, you know, we shared a bedroom at home. Uh, we shared a ride to work. We shared the same dressing room, and, you know, um, we still get along. So we were pretty good as brothers you know i remember here and there there'd be a tiff or something i, I remember the first year my two sons when he you know wasn't one of the sons and at christmas time you know it was the first year of the show it was very successful and every person on the crew gave me a christmas gift so i you know i'm coming home with about 200 boxes <laughs> and you know my brother had a, a christmas gift from my mom my dad and maybe a couple of relatives <laughs> I, I felt so sorry for him. Yeah. Why don't you take these 25 boxes? And, yeah. You know, I hope the good stuff's still in mind. Anyway, I gave him away. No, he, he's a great guy. Yeah. I've always looked out for him. Yeah, a little brother. And um, were you also on a pilot of Skippy? Yeah, Skippy was a pilot that I did for Jackie Cooper. Uh, and how that came about was the fact that I was doing uh, Ozzy and Harriet, which was on the old general service lot. It was a studio kind of independent producer's studio in Hollywood, and uh, they did a lot of different shows there. Jackie Cooper did a series in that era called People's Choice, and I believe he played a, an attorney or district attorney or something on it. But they were across on the other stage, and he was putting together another show called Skippy based on a movie that he did earlier where he played this character Skippy, and he was looking around for a child actor to play the part, and I was sort of all over the lot in those days. You know, I did my part, but then, you know, I'd go looking around on other sound stages yeah. met him and he took a liking to me and followed me back and talked to my mom next thing I know, knew I was being cast for this TV series uh, called Skip This was in I think it was 1959 and unfortunately it didn't sell or maybe fortunately for me it didn't sell because uh, about six months later My Three Sons came up and by then I had done quite a lot of work I'd done a lot of TV back in that era uh, just different TV shows and started doing movies I did Rally around the flag, boys! With uh, who did I do that with? Paul Newman. Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And yeah. Please don't eat the daisies with Doris Day, David Niven, mm -hmm. and uh, a couple other films. I think I did the Bonnie Parker story. That was early version of Bonnie and Clyde with Dorothy Provine. Yeah. That, you know, and I had a little bit of a resume, so they were very interested in bringing me in, and they'd seen my work on Ozzy and Harriet, and I ended up. Uh, getting cast in My Three Sons, but in order to get cast, I was still under contract to Jackie Cooper. My parents went to him, and it looked like that show was not going to sell. So, thank God he let me out of the contract, and uh, I was hired on My Three Sons. Hmm. Now, just a note on that, Skippy. Was that the Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, that that show? No, it was, I think it, it was, looked like it was a period piece. Set, ah, okay. I don't know if it was the 20s or 30s. It was some movie that, that, uh, uh, Jackie Cooper had done. I'm not sure if that was one of the ones with Wallace Berry or not, but, um, you know, it was a movie that was successful, I guess, for him as a child actor, and he was the producer and director on this version that was going to be made for TV. I remember Edward Finns, which was a, another pretty good character actor that was around in those days. Uh, he played my father on it, and that's yeah. about as much as I can remember a crying scene on it. And, <laughs> I was uh, known for being able to do crying scenes, so get in short pants with suspenders and one of those really stiff collars, and I remember I hated 
way they had, they had a button, something on my neck, and it was always pinching my skin. Huh. I did this crying scene so real. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, how did you get the role of, of Chip Douglas? How did well, you by see? then I, I had been working, and you know people in Hollywood were from you know familiar with me. I'd worked you know on the twentieth lot uh, plenty of times, and over at MGM, and had done these movies, and you know I had I guess if there's the word buzz, I had a little bit of a buzz going as a child actor mm -hmm. to hire in those days, and uh, a call went out to to interview me for my three sons by. Uh, a guy named John Stevens, who, although he was listed as the production manager on our show, in today's world, he would have been the producer. Mm -hmm. uh, he would have been, would have been the equivalent of like a line producer and a producer. I mean, he basically was the hub. The show ran around. It was owned by Don Federson and created by Don Federson. who created a lot of great shows. But uh, John knew about me, brought me in, and I was hired. I was the first person hired, actually, after Fred McMurray. And then we waited a while. Uh... In fact, I didn't even know Fred McMurray was going to be on the show. That was a top, top secret thing in those days. Well, only because he was a movie star. Right. Huge caliber that it was unheard of that an actor of his stature was going to be doing a TV series. It's yeah. Like, you know, somebody like Tom Hanks suddenly said, oh, I'm going to do a TV series now, and I don't want to go anywhere, and I just want to hang out and raise my family in L.A., and mm -hmm. that's kind of the way it was. Yeah. Now, I had heard they started working around his schedule. But that's how they induced him to come to the show. I mean, Fred was no dummy and knew doing a TV series, uh, you know, it's pretty much a, a grind. You know, you're there nine, ten months a year, and you're there five days a week. Yeah. You know, it can be 12, 14 hours a day. And they had written these shows very carefully and concocted this <laughs> schedule for Fred so he could spend time with his family. So he would be in, for the first three months we would shoot, he would be in every single scene. And he would work from 8 in the morning till 5 o'clock. And right at 5 o'clock, whatever we were doing, that was it. He'd go home. Hmm. And a lot of times the other actors, not me because I was underage then, would continue to work to maybe 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night. And Fred would be back the next morning. So we would shoot scenes only with Fred when Fred was around. Or if Fred happened to walk out of a scene... We would stop, they would step in with a Polaroid, take a picture of it, and we'd come back sometimes months later and complete that scene or the portion. Wow, that must have been difficult. It. So it was kind of a continuity nightmare, but, you know, once you got into the swing of it, it was, um, you know, it was fairly easy. And as you guys were growing, I imagine that made it... One season where I think I grew six inches. Wow. <laughs> that was a little bit of a problem. I'll fairly let those pants out. Right. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Uncle Charlie and uh, William Demarest and William Farley when they were on there, were they a lot like the characters? I mean, they were they were kind of gruff, but they were you know hard of gold. They had developed those personas, I think. You know, they were really nice guys, but you know, the persona was these gruff, crusty characters that both of them played in film. You know, they were all kind of. Uh, quintessential second bananas if you will yeah probably bill demers being the you know in terms of i guess a career probably in more spectacular films than bill frawley you know he was kind of one of the main second bananas from the beginning of film all the way back to the jazz singer and, and just amazing films and it actually worked with fred mcmurray numerous times before that and bill frawley not to you know slight him but he'd had a good career as a character actor uh, I love Lucy. You go back to the 30s and look at Bill Frawley. He looked the same back then. As <laughs> yeah, he did. Years old. Those guys just knew how to look old, I think is what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were probably looking like that when they were 13. <laughs> a couple of bulldog-looking guys. 
<laughs> but uh, you know, Bill Frawley's popularity and I think came into its own when he was doing I Love Lucy. Uh, they right. Him as the Fred Merckx character, and I, you know, being a kid, I wasn't aware of him as a, as a film actor, but primarily from I Love Lucy. And, yeah. Yeah. When he came onto the show, I was. Like, oh, wow, I love this guy, because I remember playing hooky, so I could stay home from school to watch I Love Lucy and <laughs> have a miraculous <laughs> medical recovery about 10 o'clock after the Lucy show. Right. <laughs> over. Probably every kid did that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's how we got introduced to him, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm working with him, and we bonded, and he was pretty much like the grandfather I never had. Both my grandfathers had passed away by the time I was born. Uh, yeah. with him, And he sort of became a surrogate grandfather for me. Just, just a really great guy and taught me every four-letter word I know. <laughs> now, what about Fred McMurray? Was he, uh, he seemed like such a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was pretty much like you saw him. You know, there wasn't any kind of pretense. And like I was saying, for a movie star of, of his stature, oh yeah, he was a very accessible guy and just very down-to-earth and nothing pretentious about him. You know, other movie stars lived in Bel Air, and you know Fred lived in a nice Harris Brentwood. But you know, if you ever saw the house, you'd probably drive by to look like the My Three Sons house. It wasn't, hmm. you know, one of these uh, Xanadu mansions or anything. And he was basically kind of, I guess you'd say, a guy from the Midwest with Midwest sensibilities. And even though he was super, super wealthy, um, just really had modest tastes, and you know, really wanted to be accepted as just you know your average Joe. I mean, he drove a state Pontiac station wagon. I mean, they happened to be our sponsor, so right. we want to buy a car, so that was cool. And you know, his wife would pack a brown paper bag lunch for him. She could have eaten at Perino's or Chasen's every day. Yeah. Huh. Just wasn't interested. Jeez. Uh, do you have any favorite episodes from the show that you can remember? Well, one of my favorite episodes is the one with the lion sneaking into the house. That was kind of a fun episode to shoot. Mm -hmm. um, and then I like the earlier episode. If you're asking me, the, the episodes that I thought were the better episodes, I thought the first four years. I thought the writing was really good, and they had Bill Frawley in them. And it, it, the show kind of had a more of a Midwest sensibility then, and just the look and the feel of the show and then and, and it may have been our ages on the show too yeah You're yeah growing up a little bit different than when you get older and you get all cocky because you think you know everything <laughs> we always do when we're teenagers but um yeah i would say my my feeling for the show is probably more the first four years where they were done in black and white mm -hmm. the directors we worked with in those days um although we had some great people work on the show a guy named peter dukesbury who'd come from father knows best mm-hmm and uh, he really set the tone for the show and set the characters, uh, but he was a guy that really, you know, shot a lot of film, and they didn't want to have him back the next year. We ended up with another director named Richard Warf, who, you know, was a pretty big TV director in those days, and then finally Gene Reynolds came in, directed two seasons, and Gene went on, you know, to have a spectacular career. He did Nash. Nash, yeah. Yeah, did Lou Grant, and he's one of my best friends and mentors to this day. He's wow. He's a great, great guy. Huh. And then the last part of the series was shot by Fred de Cordova. You know, he actually was the director we had the longest on the show. I believe he was there for five years, and then left to do the Johnny Carson show as the producer. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah, he was a force to be reckoned with. And your character took um, you went full scope. You, I mean, you started out as the youngest brother, you went to the middle brother, and then eventually you became a married man on the show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it took me completely through my childhood, teenage years, and, you know, young adult. I was nine when we did the pilot, and I think I was just a couple months shy of being 23 when it was all over. So, and, you know, every pimple I ever had is right on <laughs> 
hour, every every moment, how to play it, or good day or bad day, it's, it's documented. Yeah. Was it hard growing up on TV in the limelight like that? It really wasn't. Um, you know, although we were spectacularly famous. I mean, you know, to, oh yeah. To, uh, you know, we live in a. I think a culture of celebrity, but you know the difference is there's so many channels now, and it's it's very I think difficult to keep track of things. Well, you know the era that I came out of, you're either watching CBS, NBC, or ABC. That's right. There were three channels. One of them always had the key show, and the other two were struggling and usually off the air in 13 weeks. And we went 12 years. Um, but the show, you know, in those days when you're being watched by a TV audience. You know, it wasn't like you had an audience of 3 million, 2 million, 5 million. You know, it's 60 million people watching you every week. Right, yeah. So I couldn't go anywhere, you know, without being recognized or pursued. But, you know, my family, I think, really, we, we went back to public school in between seasons. What little we did go to public school. I never had a tutor or went to a private school. And then, you know, I really learned how to interact with real kids. And, you know, the ones who liked the show, you know, became your friends, maybe just, peripherally, you know, and you go, okay, well, this guy's just my friend because I'm on the show. But then, you know, I met guys that were really, some of them are my friends to this day, and then, you know, <laughs> you met guys that just want to beat you up because you were on TV. Right. <laughs> it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> you're there in a fight or you're know, defending the honor of the show or yourself. Yeah. Or, you know, most people are pretty good, I'd say. You know, 99% of the people I met were very nice, courteous, and, you know, after they get to know you, whatever celebrity is there kind of wore off in a couple of weeks, and you're just like another kid. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what do you think made the show so popular? I mean, it was, you know, on for so long, and it's still popular today. Yeah, I think it's just a set of values that are portrayed there that are, you know, from another era, and it may be things as we would like them to be. And at that point in time, it was all we knew, because that's all that was portrayed on TV was this sort of age of innocence that mm -hmm. came out of the 50s and raising families and trying to make good choices. I mean, the reality was it was probably not really reflected in a lot of homes, per se. You know, most people have a, a drunk living with a right. crazy dad or a crazy mom or just, you know, problems. And, you know, the types of problems that confronted the Douglas household could be resolved in 30 minutes. And right. In yeah. the end, we were all speaking to each other. And, you know, it wasn't like it was pedantic anyway and trying to teach you some kind of lesson and you know steve was never this guy that preached you know morals or anything to us and you know or would even lecture us he would always sort of observe his good parenting because we would always make the right decision in the end it looked like we wouldn't and just as he was going to step in to say something or help we would make the right choice so you know you could say his, his parenting skills were par excellence <laughs> I can't say so many of my own choices in real life have been that good. <laughs> now, uh, they make so many movie versions of old TV shows nowadays. Um, do you think I'm they'll... make one of ours. They, they can't. It's, it's got a catch. Oh, really? Catch, yeah. I saw, in fact, I had thought about that for years, that we should do something. In fact, somebody did recently. This was maybe about three or four years ago. Uh, Michael Douglas had optioned the rights to do a Mighty Son. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, uh, with his company further films and a couple guys from cbs who had acquired the rights or held the rights at that time and um you know there's a trap unfortunately you know we weren't really like the brady bunch or leave it to beaver there's sort of a kitschiness that's there that that really wasn't in my three sons and i think that was one reason people identified with the show so closely it it wasn't this pristine house where everything was always i mean our place was like a pigsty <laughs> 
Yeah, newspapers, <laughs> the dog on the couch, homework everywhere, things burning up on the pot, you know, on the on the stove, and you know, and the other households were, you know, they were calm, collected, and June was vacuuming the house in her party dress. And right. I guess you could say the Brady Bunch. So it, was, it was like, wait a minute, is this guy like an architect? Why does he build a couple other rooms here? Right. <laughs> the whole idea of it. But our show kind of, I think, had a, whether, you know, it wasn't a real realism, but it, it sort of have had a semblance of reality there that I think yeah. people identified with. Um, but the trap is, it also evoked that era of the 50s. So what do you do if you're going to do that show today? You know, mm. If you tried to do it today with, you know, the way kids talk and the problems people have today, it certainly wouldn't feel like My Three Sons. You know, you'd just be a, a guy with three wise-ass kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's and true. it wouldn't feel the same. And, you know, the problem is we weren't really kitschy enough to kind of point at the things to go, hey, this is really weird. Take a look at this. And then, you know, basically maybe amplify some of that like they did with the Brady Bunch movies. You know, right. How yeah. weird they really were. Although I thought Nickelodeon or Nick at Night and its day in TV9 did a good job with us kind of pointing out some weird things. Yeah. <laughs> so then it boils down to what's left. Well, the only thing I can see that's left is if you want to do a period piece, you know, where you set it in the 50s so you have an excuse to have that kind of moral sensibility and you know, moral compass that uh, would be so different and I'm not sure whether that would go with today's audience you yeah know, you get kids today and they go well, what is this right yeah <laughs> you know how come Chip doesn't have a hot rod why isn't he doing drugs <laughs> <laughs> Ernie's gay <laughs> oh, maybe Uncle Charlie's gay and that Fred smoking in his pipe to get away from all those kids <laughs> it would be a whole uh, <laughs> Different show. <laughs> different show, different times. So you'd either have to go in and offend everybody that was a watcher of the show, or I don't know. I'm yeah. not quite sure how you do it. But the only thing I ever thought of that may work, had the idea maybe to do it, uh, you know, more like a catch-up show with the actual actors. But I think once you recast it, you're, you're into uncharted territories there with the story. And like I said, I just don't know how you do it. Mm, yeah. Picked up with the three sons maybe as adults and followed some through line. You know, I had an idea once for a show where we would move back to Bryant Park yep. after living in L.A., which, you know, I think that would be kind of fish-out-of-water story after you've been in L.A. anyway. Right, uh, yeah. A small Midwest town and maybe back to the old house or something. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe someday I'll get around to it. And yeah, that would be interesting. It'd be... Him and, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah. The funny part is I'm older than Fred McMurray is when we started the show. I think we're really? 54, 55. I know, people just look older than... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's like my own dad. You know, I look pictures of him. He's 30. I'm like, well, this guy looks like 50 or so. <laughs> I think they all had bad haircuts, baggy pants, and dentures. Right. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, how come so many of these TV shows have come out on DVD, but it took forever for this one to come out? Why has it taken so long? Any ideas? Well, it also took a long time for My Three Sons to come out on TV. Uh, you know, My Three Sons ran for 12 years, and most shows, when they're in their third year, fourth year, they start to go into syndication, meaning mm -hmm. they show up on daytime TV. 
at least once a day, twice a day, where they do what they call stripping them, and they just keep showing them over and over. Well, My Two Sons ran the entire 12 years, and none of the shows were ever repeated on daytime TV, primarily because Fred McMurray had a contract that allowed him to have the say-so over that, and the say-so was he didn't want to compete with himself on daytime TV uh, while he was doing a nighttime show, which was probably a good decision uh, in a way. But in another way, it really kind of didn't implant the show maybe to the next generation of people, kind of like what they did with I Love Lucy or you've seen the Three Stooges or Honeymooners, you know, a godzillion times. Right, yeah. Um, but anyway, for whatever, and that's all water under the bridge right now, but, you know, it wasn't in syndication until 73. It ran from 73 to 85 in syndication. And then finally in 85, they came up with the idea of cable TV had gotten going by then, and it was a fledging network uh, called Nickelodeon, and somebody there had the idea to take some of the old, you know, black and white episodes, which weren't being shown because people did not want to see black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you watch My Two Sons in the syndication days, it was the last, I believe, seven or eight years they showed, which were in color, because they yeah. thought people wouldn't watch anything but color. But wisely, uh, Nickelodeon or Nick at Night decided to take the old black and white episodes and kind of launch that channel uh, with shows like My Three Sons and other shows that were period shows that were black and white. It kind of created this whole kooky envelope to put it all in. You yeah. Know, like, who's mean or Uncle Charlie or Bub or who's the better cook or, you know, um, yeah. um, Ernie, you know, which, which guy has the better glasses? I don't know. <laughs> or, uh, what happened to Mike? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> kind of made it seem like we were in the twilight zone but anyway it kind of struck a chord and by then you know the people that originally watched it had grown up and it's like oh here's the second chance to see my favorite show that i grew up with and introduce it to my kids yeah and then 10 years later they did the same thing with tv land and it uh, launched on tv land played there i think uh maybe 2003 or four or something like that and so it's you know we've had the benefit of uh being on tv for 48 years there's a lot of people that know about the show and yeah, I'm sure would love to see it. Anyway, kind of in a circumlocutious way, getting back to the DVDs. They're finally coming out. Anyway, on September 30th is the mm-hmm. street date, and uh, some of them will be available. I believe it's only the first year or half of the first year. Half, yeah. We made so many episodes uh, in those days. You know, it wasn't like you would do 20 shows. I know, yeah. First season, we had, I believe it was 39 or 40 shows. Wow. The only thing that's being released first off is that first uh, 20 episodes, I believe. Mm-hmm. Followed, I guess, by the second set of uh, twenty, and then I guess we'll eventually get into the second. Third. I mean, we have plenty of episodes. Oh yeah, it'll be coming out for quite a while, I'm sure. My three cents for months. <laughs> anywhere. Now, after that, you weren't just sitting around. You uh, continued in theater. Well, actually, while I was doing my three cents in my teenage years, I, I started getting interested behind the camera. Yeah. I used to drive the camera guys, you know, crazy, and they were great guys. I mean, you know, if you're interested in something, what a great place to learn. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were all willing to share knowledge, and I learned everything about film, film stocks, cameras, parallax, you know, uh, the different emulsions and stocks and what they do, and then same thing with the editors. You know, they go, here, here's some film, we'll show you how to work this moviola. Hmm. This is how you do it, this is why we cut here, why we cut there, or this is how you do the sound, and, you know, just, what a great education. So by the time I was 18, I, I kind of wanted to go on the other side, and I formed a production company and some commercials and industrials and things like that. That's kind of how I got my feet wet on the other side. Now, as far as new project, can you let us know what uh, things you have going on right now? Yeah, yeah well, uh, just recently, I guess, in the last 
decade, I've kind of really been pushing to get some stuff done. I directed a TV series for PBS. Uh, it's a children's show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Corey's Circus, or I think they're calling it the Corey the Clown Show. And uh, unfortunately, they're still in post. They added some animated sequences that they've really been struggling to get done. And you know, when you're doing things for PBS at this point, I'm not involved in it anymore. We, you know, I was just there to direct the 20 episodes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great show. It's really very kid friendly, but it's not like the typical show you would see for kids. And that it's educational, but you know, we really weren't into ABCs and one, two, threes. More, and I would say very my three sons. Oh, really? It had to do with you know family issues and. You know, uh, morals and just, you know, being a good person, you know, and what are, you know, the rules of living your life and, you know, trying to care about other people, very family-oriented stuff, so Mm. kind of an unusual show, but, yeah, hopefully that'll be showing up next year, and I produced a movie called Checkers um, that starred Richard Hurd, people remember him from, he's had Star Trek Voyagers, Admiral... Owen Paris, I think that's the name, or Paris Owen, I can't. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I'm not a fan. Of, well, I am a fan, but I don't watch that show. Not a fanatic, so you know everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, Richard, too. He was also on Seinfeld for years. He was the guy that was uh, George's boss in Steinbrenner's office. Oh, okay. Yeah, in fact, he looks very much like William William Frawley. He's got that kind of same gruff personality. That, yeah, if you saw him, you'd know him in a minute. Yeah, I know who, you, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Great character. And it's a good film. In fact, it's... Uh, film that will probably play very well to baby boomers because it involves this universal situation of dealing with our, you know, aging parents. And if you're a baby boomer, you probably have either one or two of those. Oh, yes, yeah. And uh, anyway, in this particular case, the film revolves around four brothers who didn't have a very great relationship with their dad, and he's now older and kind of wants redemption and comes down to visit and have a great time and uh, they basically play hot potato with dad nobody wants to take responsibility anyway it's a black comedy mm-hmm. now is that out uh, just in the film circuit uh, the film festival circuit right now or is that uh, out on dvd really uh, it, in fact up at the uh, california independent film festival it had a great great reaction from the audience mm-hmm. and then unfortunately because of this other project i've been working on it it just kind of got pushed to the background and on the back burner for the moment. Yeah. Um, I'm doing this other project called the Actor's Journey Project, which actually I've been working on for well, about eight years. And uh, it's a project that's kind of near and dear and very personal to me only, and I think everybody else that's in it, because uh, there's a lot of industry people involved in this particular project, in fact, over 100 industry people. But what, what the project is about, we ended up having to actually cut it into two parts. Part of it first part is for parents who want to involve their children or teens in the industry mm-hmm. and then the other part picks up when you're 18 so it's basically for performers or actors who want to become involved in the industry but what's different about this than everything that's been out there is this totally is focused on the business or what we call non-performance skills necessary to you know start launch and maintain a career as an actor in the industry and it's just not taught it's a it's amazing and i mean all the people that I involved with, we've all seen this for years, and it's like somebody should do something about this. But you know, we're, we're all involved in an industry that's been around for a hundred years, and people know they want to become actors. That you go get your training. You get your training as an actor. You know, you can go to a small school where you live, come to L.A., go to New York, go to Harvard or Yale Drama School. Mm-hmm. But what we find is people come out of these schools and they're highly trained and ready to, you know, get in front of a camera or get up there on stage. 
and they don't have a clue as to what they're supposed to be doing on the distance side. It's like, uh, what do I do? Who do I call? Yeah. And this is what's been going on, you know, for the past, you know, 90 years. Mm-hmm. And the people that got into the industry were just lucky, you know, that they had the right circumstances, got in front of the right people, and things went their way. And and every once in a while you always hear about the ones that don't. They have problems. People you've probably known in your own life that wanted to be actors and took a stab at it and it went nowhere. Yeah. And the problem is, you know, they're not to blame because they didn't know what to do and there's nowhere to go find out about it. Yeah. And unfortunately, the people that could teach you this are all the people who are working that are busy administrating their own careers. The universities can't teach it because usually the professor teaching it to you or the acting teacher, you know, he may or may not or she may have not had a career at all prior to teaching, but they learned how to teach acting. Or they may have been out here, you know, for a couple months. And you really only get part of the picture. I mean, the only way you can learn this is to learn it from people that have been down in the trenches for 20, 30 years and have had highs, lows, success, failure, and have learned to deal with all the aspects of it. And it's very, very complicated. And that's what we wanted to focus on. I mean, over a million dollars was spent researching this. Wow. Putting these DVDs together for people that want this career trajectory, whether it's for parents who want to involve their children and kids, uh, teenagers, or whether it's, you know, the people at 18 years old that feel that call to become a performer or an actor and need this information. Because, I, I mean, really, to put it bluntly, without the information in these DVDs, you're never getting in. You're never going to get in because you're never going to have enough experiences really to know what to do and how to do it, what you spend your money on. And part of our industry, I mean, the mainstream is not this way, but there's kind of these sharks swimming around the edge of it that promise things to people and, you know, promise to get you in, promise to get you an agent. Nobody can promise that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And all they do is just basically take financial advantage usually of these people because they want it so bad or they're trying to help their children. And they're trying to do a good thing, but unfortunately they've coupled up with somebody who is not really in the industry, is on the periphery of it. And but they talk to these people who are blinded by that and hand over a lot of money and nothing happens and it's sort of like what do you expect? Yeah. You know, and yeah. our business that's part of the problem of it and that's what we're trying to correct with this is the perception of the world of an actor as a business. Mm-hmm. You know, most people think of it as oh, well it's when I'm up on stage or you know, when I'm in front of a camera and it really has so little to do with that. I mean if you add up on any actor's career, the number of hours he actually spent on a set or actually in finished product, it's small. Yeah. What an actor does 90, 99% of his time is try and find work and, you know, and in networking to get the next job, and, and nobody knows how to do that. Hmm. And that's what we wanted to pass on. We involved over 100 people from our industry, both people in front of the camera and some great people that stepped up to the plate for this because they... Felt so very similarly, uh, you know, guys like Henry Winkler and Michael York and Melissa Gilbert, and the list goes on and on. Hmm. In addition to which, we involve people from the other side of the camera because to become an actor, you know, usually all you're doing is working around actors, and that's great. You need to do that, and you need to get information from other actors, but wouldn't it be nice to know what a casting director wants or know what's inside the mind of a producer when they're casting mm-hmm. or why they're casting somebody and what? makes you book a job as opposed to things that you can do that help you not book a job. So we involve executive producers, producers, showrunners, talent managers, talent agents, casting directors, I mean just a plethora of people 
so that you can find out what the other side wants, and then therefore you at least stand a chance of you know trying to please some of that and find work that way. We also involve the presidents of the two key unions, uh, the president of the Screen Actors Guild is involved in this, the president of the Directors Guild of America is involved in this. So it's really the first time people that want this career trajectory can get information, and I hate to put it this way, but from the horse's mouth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> people who claim to be in the know and can help you and really haven't even have done it at all. Right, yeah. And that's a big difference. So if somebody wanted to get into the business or have their child, help their child or whatever, where do they get these DVDs? Because this sounds like something that they, yeah. they really should start with. It's really the first step. I mean, a lot of times people think the first step is getting the training, and that really is the second step. The first step is finding out about the industry and really what it's all about to see whether you want to be involved. It, and if you do, there'll be the information there to guide you every step of the way, including the training resources. In other words, there, there's places you can go for training that are great, and there's others that, you know, the class may be taught by Hitler reincarnated. So, and, you know, whether you should be able to audition the class before you pay for it. There's all kinds of little things people need to know. Anyway, all this information is available or will be available starting October 1st at, at theactorsjourneyproject.com. So you have to remember to put the, the, the in front of it, mm -hmm. actorsjourneyproject.com. And uh, if you go there, there's uh, two icons. One will take you to the children's site, which uh, you'll see it'll say, you know, infant, child, teen, up to 17. And if you're over 18, it's a different story. You go through the other door, and that's the adult version. And it's probably a even more complicated than for the kids. The material for the children's portion is really directed at the parents. It's not really that, you know, kids come to the site and find out anything because it's the parents that usually administer the career right they're the ones doing the schlepping they're the ones that are really going to be doing 99 percent of the work and you know to really find out as a parent and as a family what you're in for by immersing your child in this process and you know some very very positive things can happen um you know one of the things that I think we're all upset about is the fact of how the media portrays child actors, which is everybody's heard of the Lindsay Lowens and the Britney Spears. Right. Back in my day, it was the Gary Coleman's and yeah, uh, you know the other people that had problems. The, the the problem is those are so few people. I mean, if you watch TV for a week and see how many kids you've seen in in movies, in the movie theater, and on TV, and go, well, I don't know those people. Right. I know them from the shows, but it's because they haven't gotten in trouble. They have great parents, and, you know, the parents have somehow found their way into the industry. And, you know, the kid's having a quiet, successful career and can probably pay for his college tuition, if not his entire life, because of getting cast in some show. Yeah. So the benefits are really there, but, like I said, people sometimes just want to leapfrog and cut to the chase. It's like, where do I get my limo and my million-dollar check and my, my own TV series? instead of doing the work, and we see a lot of that. Most people are usually in and out of the industry in a flash. Hmm. This has been taking up a lot of your time lately. That's <laughs> sounds like you've a lot of work. During this, I was also the editor on it and also collected all the people together to do it, and that was pretty daunting because almost everybody in it works. So shooting around, you know, everybody's scheduled. There's some big directors. Richard Donner is one of the directors that's involved in this. And, mm -hmm. You know, Richard's got his own projects, and still directs films, so to get people like that involved in it was kind of daunting to work around everybody's schedule. Yeah, it's but amazing. I think our production period it was almost like 18 months long. Wow. The number of people that we had involved. In fact, I'd say out of the 
over 100 people that are involved with, I think about 35, 40 of them have either been nominated or won Academy Awards, Emmy Awards, Golden Globe Awards. So it's the kind of people, you know, that you want to get the information from. Yeah. It's a credibility factor. You know, it's like, who would you rather take baseball from? You know, the coach down the street or, you know, some big guy, big star, like a, well, in my era, would have been like a Sandy Koufax. Right. Pitching you pitching or, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, there's out there right now that's doing it very well. It's, that's the difference. Yeah, so so really everything that you've been involved with in this project goes all the way back to my three sons with everything you learned by sneaking behind the cameras and everything else back there. Absolutely. You know, it, it's really the truth because not just being an actor, although I ended up being the host on on this too. You know, so there, there I'm in front of the camera sometimes, but the whole aspects of putting it together and doing all the things you have to do as a producer and then as a director, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, the aggregate of all my skills that I learned and, you know, learned to use over these years kind of came together for this project. And like I said, it's something that we've all talked about for years that there should be something, should be. And I just said, you know what, somebody should do something about this and I'll go ahead and do it. I'll just put the thing together. But, you know, I'm, I'm like anybody else. You know, you start doing it, and you realize, wow, this is a much bigger project than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, just like any actor, I thought, well, let's take a couple of years to get this done. And you know, mm -hmm. it is. It's, it's seven, eight years later by the time it was financed and shot and edited and ready to go. You're looking at, a, you know, a big commitment of time and, you know, the involvement of probably hundreds of people you know, yeah consider all behind the scenes people and people that didn't actually end up on screen but contributed their ideas and information of how to smooth the road for actors i mean we all that's what i think the bottom line is a lot of us came from being actors and even a lot of the directors that i interviewed were actors at one time and you know there's a certain commiseration of, of what they go through and you know how abusive the process is as it is and that's what we're trying to rectify. It doesn't have to be that way. It's mm -hmm. like any other business you would get involved in. There's usually some kind of career trajectory that you can follow or apprenticeship or some way right. to get in there and, and kind of you get the training and get the next step and then you learn how to run the business. For actors, it isn't. It's just every man for himself and good luck getting the information and if you make it, you make it and most of you aren't. Yeah. So this really kind of levels the playing field for actors because they can go into it now knowing what it took us thir 20 to 30 years to accumulate in terms of the business side of what yeah. to do, who to give your money to, when you go to a photo session, am I just getting headshots or do I need to shoot at all? How do I even interview a photographer? I mean, you don't just go through the yellow pages and pick out a guy. He could be shooting tomatoes and radishes by day and you by night. Yeah. You know, you want to make sure you've got a a photographer that knows how to deal with actors and that's what we're trying to show people are people that luck out and actually get a union job on their first job yeah and nobody yeah. tells them and what do they do they join the union they get taft hartley and are now allowed to join the union only to find out that they're probably not going to get another union job for who knows mm -hmm. you know, yeah years but now you've put yourself in the position where you can't do non-union films certain student films and all the types of material that you could put on a reel that would advance your career. Yeah. But there's nobody there to tell you. And there's a million of those little caveats all along the way. And unless you've talked to the right person who knows them all, you're going to be making a lot of mistakes. And it sets a lot of people back. And, 
you know, spins them right back out of the industry almost as fast as they got in. Yeah, and those are the things they need to know. These are the things that are absolutely mandatory. And yeah. We're hoping at some point that, you know, the entity, Screen Actors Guild, or even after, which is the other parent union, yeah. at least makes it mandatory for almost every actor to have this. Because uh, it's crazy. It's like being a chef but not knowing how to run a restaurant. Right. Yeah. You can be the greatest chef in the world, but, you know, your restaurant's going to be closed in two weeks if you don't know what you're doing. And it's the same thing for an actor. You're an entrepreneurial business, and, you know, you're not there for handouts, and you're not there for somebody to take your hand. It's not like the old days. You have to do almost everything for yourself, and the ones who learn how to do it are going to be the ones that get in. Yeah. yeah. Well, I will be sure to put a link so anybody listening that wants to connect with you that they can just look on our website and go to those sites where they can get those actor's journeys uh, for the kids or for just an actor's journey, and they get a hold of those DVDs. Well, they'll certainly speed up the process for themselves because you'll come away going, I had no idea that's what the industry is, but at least now I know what I've got to do. Yeah. You know, like I was saying, you still have to get up off the couch and do it, but... You know, the problem is, is if you don't know what you're doing, that's a whole other thing, and that's usually the case with almost everybody. Yeah. Well, Stan, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. I had a great time. It was uh, fun for your listeners and informative and (laughs) nostalgic and everything else. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Brian. Once again, I want to thank Stanley Livingston for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, we really appreciate uh, listening to him and all the stories he had and uh, the information he has on his DVDs, the actor's journey and the, the kid's actor's journey and all of those things. And you might want to check those out. On the website, we will have a link so you can go to his website or go to the uh, Actor's Journey website and you can uh, pick up those DVDs if you'd like. Um and get all the information about that. So check out the website, and um, we will, like I say, have a link there for you. Stanley is a very nice person, and uh, he talked to us uh, about all that uh, history that he has with the show and everything, and I just found that amazing, um, how how much uh, went on with the show. And We'll have some more great interviews coming up, too. Um, in future episodes, we have other people who are on TV shows or in movies and things like that, and uh, it's going to go the full gamut. We're going to have music people. We're going to have uh, all sorts of stuff. So keep listening to On Screen and Beyond because you never know who's going to pop up on this show. Uh, it might be somebody from uh, who's going to be a rising star. It might be somebody who's uh, out of your past, and you can look back and listen to what they reminisce about their shows or movies that they were in and uh, or if you uh, don't remember these people you're going to meet these people and uh, it's it's very interesting to listen to what they they have to say so um, we'll have some more great ones coming up right here on on screen and beyond and uh, until next time this is brian take care (laughs) 